I don't know if you have any uh, uh, places to go in your life that uh, are kind of sacred to you, you know, maybe a physical location uh, that you think of that you think, man, that's a place that I've got to go back to just to get my head, you know, just to just to think clearly, you know, go back to a certain place. I've got a couple places like that. Um, unfortunately, they're not here. They're in Austin. One is an oak tree. Um, that is very sacred to me. Uh, and, and the other is the South San Gabriel River. The South San Gabriel River is a nasty, muddy river that is full of water moccasins and copperheads. Um, it's surrounded by nothing but mesquite and cedars and cactus. Uh, and it's a place that you just go and you tear your body up just to go down there. And my friend Scott and I, we would, uh, and Carrie Glenn, we would run through miles of, uh, of the, uh, the cedars and the cactus um, to get to a cliff, and we went cliff jumping, and um, we had fun. It was a pretty good sized cliff, you know, and 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 it was just what we did when we were kids. Well, we got older, and and Scott um, just came by my house one day, and he said, "Let's go back." And I've just got to clear my mind. Let's go back to the river, and so here we are, two grown men. And of course, the, the places where we went required a lot of trespassing, okay? Which was cool if you're a kid. But now that you're a grown man, you're like, I don't do that anymore. And he's like, yeah, we do. And so we, we went and found the cliff again. And we jumped off and we, we hit our tailbones on the ground and we were floating in the water in pain. And I said, Scott, man, this is shallower than it used to be. And he goes, no, we're bigger than we used to be. Um, but that, that was a, it's a sacred place to me. The South San Gabriel River still is not a pretty place, but a sacred place. Nasty, muddy river. All right. This, um, this scene right here, this image of this nasty, muddy river, you're looking at one of the most sacred sites in all of Israel. That is the Jordan River. And not only is that the Jordan River, that is a very specific section of the Jordan River. I'm going to talk about that in a section. One of the most sacred places in all of Israel. Moses, when he led the people of Israel, he's the great hero in their nation, right? He brought the nation to Mount Sinai. They also called it Mount Horeb. He brought the nation there and they came before God and they said, yes, we will, we will be yours. We're going to obey your laws. And he brought their hearts to God. And, and there, there was this, uh, we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but obviously he comes back down from the mountain and there's sin and there's all this, this pain. And he goes through this treacherous journey of leadership, battling in his mind. Why am I even doing this? All the way from 40 days that he was on Sinai to 40 years that he was in the desert. And finally, he brings Israel to the banks of this river. In fact, they were these very banks. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Brought them to these banks of the Jordan River. And, and, and there, he handed over leadership to Joshua just across from Jericho on what we call the plains of Moab. Years later... Kings have risen, kings have fallen, the nation has gone into sin. Elijah the prophet is raised. And he is going to be the other great leader in Israel's history. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus confronts these two, Moses and Elijah. So Elijah comes and when he's in desperate pain, he goes to Mount Horeb. He goes to Mount Sinai, to this lonely mountain in the wilderness And God asks him this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why did you come to Mount Sinai? 
Why did you come to this place? And he says this, it's because I'm zealous for you. And I'm zealous for your law. And the people have broken your covenant. And I'm trying to turn their hearts back towards you. And he has this moment with God that's incredible. Now, Elijah was a man known for wearing camel's hair or this just hairy garments and leather belts. And he lived in the wilderness and he ate whatever food the wilderness provided, whatever the ravens would bring him. He lived in this place in the wilderness. You would have to dress like that. Look at, look at the, the terrain around here. This just, just, just to be in this area, be in this nasty area, you'd have to protect yourself. Living like a wild man, living out in the wilderness. Of course, I'm up here with some of you. I'm not going to name names. Some of, some of you in here live like that sometimes. You go out for months, live in the mountains, and that's what you look like. You look like John the Baptist when you come out. But it's, it's this scene that I want you to get in your mind of Elijah. And that's what he did. And, and Elijah also, he went to Sinai because his hero was Moses. And I want to, I want to experience what Moses experienced. And have you ever caught that the same scene happens? Moses, God says, Moses, come stand on the rock and my presence is going to pass before you. Do you remember that that happens again to Elijah? When Elijah comes, he says, I'm zealous for your law. He comes and God says, okay, come stand on the rock and my presence is going to pass before you. The same thing. Now Elijah's journey comes to a conclusion. And where does he go? To the Jordan River. That's where Moses' journey came to a conclusion, was the Jordan River. Now Elijah, with Elisha following, comes to the Jordan. And he says, and Elisha says this, Man, if you are willing, would you give me a portion of your spirit, a double portion of your spirit? When Elijah is taken up, his cloak cloak falls and his spirit is poured out on Elisha. And so, both with Moses, leadership is transferred from Moses to Joshua at the Jordan River. At this spot, leadership is transferred from Elijah to Elisha at this very spot. Look at this. This is a map of the Jordan River. It's 88 miles long from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. It's 200 miles if you go from Mount um, Hermon. I look at Vanna. <laughs> Mount, well, the, the, I think it's Mount Hermon. All the way down to the Dead Sea, 200 miles. We're given the locations that all of these things happened at. Whether you got Moses on Mount Nemo, you got Anon, uh, Bethabara, um, Jericho, Jerusalem. Th- this is where the crossing happened at. And so what I'm demonstrating here is this isn't a coincidence. Elijah went to the place that Moses brought Israel and Joshua went in. Elijah went there and it was just sacred to him. This spot was sacred to him. And, and, and now you have John the Baptist and it's not, we call him John the Baptist like it's his last name. Forgive me for that, but I'm going to continue the tradition. Um, and John the Baptist is baptizing right here. Why is he going out in the wilderness? Why is he going to this place that is, is, they have mikvahs all over Jerusalem. They have baptistries is what they are all over the place. But he's going out to the wilderness. He's going to this spot, this nasty, muddy river. He's dressing in camel's hair and a leather belt. He's eating locusts and honey. And he's preaching this message. I want you to repent and I want you to turn back to God. I want you to give your hearts back to God. And this is what's happening in this sacred place. And when he's preaching this message, 
Here comes Christ. And when Christ is baptized, did you ever catch this? The Spirit comes on Christ. And it uses the same word that's used in the Old Testament. The Spirit of Elijah rested on Elisha. The Spirit came and rested on Christ as a dove. The Spirit came upon him. Let me tell you, Scripture is crazy amazing. Okay, And I always feel like I'm a very, very poor pianist trying to play a Mozart. Um, when I'm standing before Scripture, I'm like, I can barely even read music. But when you stand before it, you're like, wow, it's a symphony. It's beautiful how this works together and how rich um, these messages could be. And, and so I want to bring you, just with this background in mind, I want, you to bring, I want to bring you to Luke chapter 3. And I want you to follow along with me and watch what's happening here. Um, I'm going to begin reading in, um, in verse uh, 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, Now, I know that's a lot of words, and I know you just glazed over them like I did, but what I want you to hear in all of those words is this, evil, evil, a very corrupt leadership. Sickness is in the land, and if you study the history of the names that we just went through, just hear this word, sick, evil, corrupt. This is where we've come, just like the days of Elijah. During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight, the rough ways smooth, And all mankind will see God's salvation. I'm going to go back to Isaiah's prophecy next week when we talk about the language that he uses there. And then John says this. Look at verse 7. Make a note in your Bible next to verse 7. He says this. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Um. That language, you brood of vipers. Um, When's the last time you called somebody a brood of viper? I think in my mind I might have. But when's the last time you used that kind of language? Was this language common then? No. You're not going to find that language in any ancient document at that time. That's not common today. It's not common then. He's quoting scripture. And I want to see if you think, can think what scripture he might be quoting here. When he says, you brood of vipers. What's another word for brood? You seed of snakes. He's quoting Genesis 3.15. Make a note in your Bible next to it. There's a prophecy of the Christ when he says, your seed Will be there will be enmity, right? There will be war between your seed and her seed. We always focus on Genesis three fifteen, talking about the coming Christ, and that's beautiful. But it also says there's going to be a seed of the serpent, and Jesus looks at not Jesus. He's going to do the same thing later. But John looks at this crowd and he looks at the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Now keep in mind, Elijah 
spoke against the religious leaders. For three and a half years, he had a ministry. For three, about three and a half years, Jesus has a ministry. At the close of it, he will lift up a sacrifice and return the people's hearts to God. At the close of Jesus' ministry, he'll do the same thing. And then he will bring judgment on the religious leaders of the land. And that's exactly what's happening in both Elijah and Christ. This is amazing parallel that's, that's, that's coming out in this. But he says this, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. What wrath? When he stomps on your head, when he comes and he crushes your empire and your work that you're doing for Satan. Before I keep reading in this text in verse eight, um, I really love class this morning. We're talking about tradition, the danger of tradition, the beauty of tradition, how to recognize tradition when it's healthy, when it's not. Super important, very important topic for all of our lives. Because I've noticed this in my own experience, and I don't need to talk about our nation. I don't need to talk about churches and all this. But I've noticed this, that we act like the people we're around. In eldership, and I'm, I'm so thankful for our eldership, and I need to say that right now, but I've been in a lot of elderships in a lot of churches. I've worked with a lot of people. And I have seen cultures, a culture in a room become so dark, and it becomes acceptable to the people in that room. And if you're around it long enough, behavior that should be considered completely ungodly becomes normal. And we've seen it happen in churches, and I've seen it in my own experience, where someone who is in Christ would never behave this way. But I caught myself, and specifically it happened when I got engaged in internet forums. And I got engaged in religious debate because that's what I liked. And I went to internet forums because that's the healthy place to go. That's where the scholars are. And so I went to the internet forums so I could win arguments with people. And did you know that I only did that for about a year before I became convinced that I was a genius? And now I still have the papers that I wrote at that time. I still have emails that I wrote at that time. They're dark. They're sick. And they're ungodly. And somehow, I, 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 I guess I was around this culture long enough that it became healthy to talk that way. And I've seen it in churches. I've seen us somehow adapt a culture that we are okay with stuff that we should look at and say, that is sick, that is sin, that is wrong. And yes, that is something that's relevant in our body today. You have things going on in your life and in your relationships and the way you speak to one another and the way you handle one another that sometimes you want to look at it and say, how do you think that is appropriate in God's kingdom? And I'm mostly talking about because I'm just like you. I'm more aware of myself than I am anything else. But there's so many times where I sit at the feet of God's word and I think, God, I don't look like you anymore. I don't, I don't act like you anymore. This is not the image of you. And, and that's what happens in Israel over and over and over again. And it's what happens in our experience over and over and over again. Churches divide today, and I know I'm going off on a tangent. I'm about to come back. Churches divide today mostly over unbiblical issues. That's a fact. Most of the divisions in churches today are over cultural traditions and not the Bible. They have to do with our music, the way we sing, all of these things. It deals with this kind, these kinds of issues and not biblical church kind of issues. Because Satan has mastered us. 
mastered us in those areas. And I look at myself and I'm thinking, God, I need this message in my life that John the Baptist came to preach. Going to a community and saying, do you understand that the most ungodly sect of this community are the religious leaders? And he looks at the tax collectors and he looks at the soldiers and he looks at the crowd and he looks at the religious leaders all individually in this, this coming series. And they're all sinners. Every, everyone is. Everyone has fallen short. Every single one of us. And so he goes into a series of questions. And when, when John preaches this message, verse 8, this is what happens. Produce fruit. In keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Keep in mind, he's standing in the middle of the Jordan River. A national monument. This is though, as though the president were giving an address from Ellis Island or the border wall or something like this. The location means something, right? Don't say to yourself, you have Abraham as your father. For I tell you that God is um, out of these stones, God can raise children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's another verse that we're going to come back to next week. Now, a series of questions. What should we do then? The crowd asks. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. And I was ready for some heavy command here. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I think that this is in a, in a sense. But all of the instructions you're going to see over the next few verses are like at the most basic kindergarten level. Okay, listen, you've got two, your brother has none, would you give one of yours to your brother? This is something a parent would tell their child, right? Very basic. Now the, sold, um, the tax collectors. They also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Don't cheat the people. And I'm not asking you to go out and win thousands of souls. I'm not asking you to go and give your body to be burned. I'm not asking any heavy command of you. Just don't cheat people. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. In each of these scenarios, a different group asks what should we do? Now that's a bold question. I've become convinced that if you're going to follow Christ as a disciple, you're safer in the back of the room. Um, I was a back of the room student, I think. Um, I don't want to be called upon. Um, and I'm sure not going to be the one that asks a question. It's dangerous to ask Jesus questions. You learn that in the Gospels. Because it all, he always responds with personal accountability. And he's going to change you if you ask him a question. And you're going to come to him to the waters of baptism. And you're going to say, what does this mean to me? Get this. It was a different answer for everyone. He looked at you individually and he said, this is what this means to you. What really struck me in this section was how basic these answers are. And I thought about the church today and, and I love it. 
Um, you know, Dane mentioned the milk meat thing today. Um, that's a very important topic to me. And the reason why is because I, milk is sometimes seen as a bad thing in, in Hebrews. Uh, as though Paul is saying milk is bad, meat is good. He's not. He's saying milk is essential. But if we keep drinking milk, we're going to keep crying. Okay? We're going to continue to act like children if we're accustomed to a diet of milk. And the reason Paul wants you to grow and to eat meat and to grow in the kingdom is so you stop acting like children. That's something he repeats over and over and over again to mature and to grow in your faith. And what I'm seeing in these instructions is so applicable for the church today. Listen, there is so much we need to be doing in God's kingdom. We could be doing church so much better than we do church. I promise you. We could be coming up with with committees and plans and agendas and all kinds of things. We could be doing amazing things in Fort Collins. I'm not against any of it. I think we need to go there. But first, we need to treat one another with respect. Don't talk about missions if we can't talk to our, our brothers and sisters with respect, right? Don't talk to me about everything that we need to be doing if we're not showing humility towards the body and towards other people. Because if I'm not representing Christ in my spirit, I told this to Gary just a couple days ago. If I'm not representing Christ in my spirit, I shouldn't dare put his word on my mouth. I shouldn't dare do it. Because this is the most basic part of his kingdom, is getting these things right. I need to conduct myself as a child of the king in his kingdom. And then we can move forward. So every answer he gives, super basic to the people. And then I found out this is a theme that's carried through the book. The, the book. Uh, <laughs> through the book. My wife is going to love that. Um, he says this in Luke 10. An expert of the law asks him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, in chapter 18, a ruler asks him, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? This question is flows through the book of Luke. It becomes a theme in the book of Luke, book of Luke and also in the book of Acts. But check out Luke 7, 29. All the people... Even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. In other words, you have all these people coming down to this place, this place that this is where Moses came. This is where Elijah came. Now John the Baptist stands in these waters and he's saying this, come back to your roots. Come back to what's basic. Give your heart back to God. And the tax collectors are doing it. And the soldiers are doing it. And the most sinful people, quotes right, are doing it. But the religious and the elite, they rejected. Look at the phrase here rejected God's purpose for themselves. And that kills me because I'm looking at this thinking, and I've said this so many times up here, but what if I rejected God's purpose for my life? What if I stood before him and he's saying, Jeff, ask me, have the guts to ask me the question, what should I do? Have the guts to ask me that question and be ready to hear my response. And then receive God's purpose for your life. Receive what what, what he wants to do with you. 
When Moses um, went up on Sinai, he went into a cloud. He received the law and he came down and 3,000 people died that day. When Jesus went up into the clouds, he said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will return to you. On the same day on Pentecost, he pours out his spirit. 3,000 people are baptized into Christ. Peter receives the spirit. And he preaches a message of repentance. And do you remember what the crowd asks him? What should we do? Repent. This is one of those verses that I mentioned in David's class this morning that was poisoned to me when I was a kid. I haven't been able to hear this verse for a long time. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. How about this last part? And you will receive the Holy Spirit. You are being tied back to Moses, to Elijah, to all of this. It's the same thing. The Spirit was, was what led Israel and Moses, right? The Spirit is what fell on Elisha from Elijah. The Spirit is what came on Jesus like a dove when he was baptized at the Jordan. And now in the exact same scene, Acts 2, he's bringing this whole journey into your experience. And he says this, I will give you the gift of the Spirit. He'll come on you. But be ready to repent. I'm nervous today that we, me, have turned baptism into something that just, it's not a topic we're, we're, we're comfortable with. We're ashamed of it. It's something that we became an idol in many of our experiences. It did. And we lost the word repentance. We lost that word. Because it was never, not one person in this crowd said, I'm with you, John, but do I really have to get wet? Um, that would be my response. Most of our responses today is, I hear your message. Did we have to come to the wilderness? Do we have to be at the Jordan? They didn't respond that way because it wasn't about that. They're ready to receive God's instruction. It's about this. Am I ready to ask God the question, what should I do? Am I ready to receive a message that's going to require repentance and change in my life? And that is not a decision I made when I was 14 years old. That's a decision I sure better make today. That is not something I did back in the day. This is how a Christian lives their life on the banks of the Jordan River. What should I do? What does it mean to follow you today? Don't let me hear the voices of men anymore. Let me hear the voice of the Spirit. Let me be led by you. Um. This message means something different for every single person in this room. And it promise you it means something to me. What should I do? I pray that God will speak to us. Um, our Father, um, I just I have so much on my mind. Um, first, I want to praise you for the depth and the beauty of your word. Because I, I, I'm, it's... It's like looking at a sunrise every time. Uh, it's, it's so life-changing. Um, but then, God, I, I just pray that we won't be a people that come together and, and simply celebrate how good you are. 
Um, but God, that we will be a people that come together and that we'll be honest with our spirits before your throne and that we'll be honest with one another. And that repentance would be a word that we're in love with again. Um, because it leads us on a course that brings us into your purpose for our lives. And I pray, God, that if there's anyone that hears this, that in pride has been rejecting your purpose. Not simply rejecting a command to be baptized, but rejecting what it means. I pray, Father, that we would hear a voice like John's, like Elijah's, uh, that calls us back to our knees before you. I pray for your church today. I just want to pray for the basics. I want to pray, God, that we show a spirit of kindness to each other, of love and sacrifice towards one another. God, that when we see the poor in our community, we don't, we don't reject them or ignore them. That in our jobs, we're honest. In our marriages, we show honor towards one another. And I pray, Father, that you would receive honor in this body and in your church today. Um, especially for those of us that would dare carry your name or your message on our lips. I pray that our lives would reflect humility and not arrogance. I love you so much, God, um, for bringing us back to uh, that message. And it's crazy how thousands of years later, this is still bringing people to you. And I love you for that. In Christ, we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship God.